welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Crazy, where Alan and I will be curating side A of a mixtape featuring songs about being slightly off your rocker. (laughs) And I just want to start by saying at the top of the podcast here that we are going to have fun with this episode. We, We in no way want to make light of mental illness, clearly mental illness is an issue that's gotten a lot of awareness lately, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Because people have been suffering from all sorts of, you know, terrible issues, depression and anxiety and among other things, bipolar and so forth. And it's good that the stigma of those things um, have decreased and people are, are getting the help they need. We're having more fun in the broad sense of it. Right. And a lot of the songs that we've chosen, um, I think it'll be fairly clear that, you know, we, we're... It's all in good fun. It, it's not in any way meant to offend. Um, so we hope it's not taken that way. Uh, a lot of the songs, some are, are novelty tunes. I mean, it, it really is just, um, you know, craziness has always been um, pretty dominant, uh, uh, you know, thematically right. in, in rock and roll music. So yep. we're just just having fun and, and taking a look at what some of uh, some of the popular bands and artists through the years have have done with the theme so and we have also we decided to avoid crazy and in, in too broad of a sense um when it turns to maybe just being crazy in love like patsy klein's crazy or aerosmith's crazy we we didn't include those no it has to deal with something with you know you're just not, not kind of right in the head <laughs> you know, in, in a broad light humorous way most of right. them there are a couple on here maybe a little more serious yeah, but you, you need to uh yeah all of these songs are very much about Going mad, being mad, uh, just, as you said, being off your rocker, very much like the two of us. Yes, 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 exactly. um, You know, we're poking fun of ourselves as well as we go through this. So, um, I don't know. I I had a lot of fun putting my selections together. I did too. I did too. I I wasn't sure how this would work, and it it turned out, I think, beautifully. So, I hope the the audience will really appreciate the the mixtape when finished. So, well, start us off, Alan. What'd you choose for pick number one? All right. Well, this was a no brainer. Um, my first pick for side A is Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you. There's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything will be alright.
lyrics are about getting through life in the battle against evil, actually. That was the interpretation that Prince himself had, Satan being the de-elevator. And um, the song suggests that we are encouraged to not allow the devil to break us down and instead to turn to God to help us by going crazy and punching a higher floor, being heaven, I, I suppose. This is the opening song, of course, from Prince's film Purple Rain, right? And, and the album was a soundtrack to the film, a huge hit. Spent 24 weeks at number one in America. And much of the movie takes place at a club where Prince performs. Um, you, you've seen the film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I don't know if I told that story, but I wasn't allowed to watch it as a kid. I remember you did. You and did I promised that. myself as a kid someday I'd watch it. And it, I, I think it was maybe three or four years ago when I finally did watch it. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember that conversation yeah. now. Um, well, the club uh, where Prince performs in the film, these scenes were shot at the First Avenue nightclub in Minneapolis, where Prince really was a regular player. Uh, Prince and his band at the time, The Revolution, they embarked on their tour to promote the album. And, and they used most of the choreography from the film performance of this song for their concert performances as well. The beginning of this song is one of the most famous spoken intros in pop history. Prince takes the persona of a preacher and is joined by a church organ as he gives what amounts to a sermon, reminding us that we should enjoy this life knowing that we can look forward to a world of never-ending happiness when we die. Credit this to George Clinton, uh, who did many similar bits, Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, right? With, right. with P-Funk. Um, Following Prince's death, the Minnesota Wild ice hockey team made the decision to honor him by playing this song when celebrating goals at their home stadium. Um, and as a final aside, this was actually used in a 2018 commercial for the Capital One Saver card that aired during the Emmy Awards. So even Prince had to go commercial. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, he was passed. I'm sure it was yeah, his, his exactly, family yeah. or whoever owns the estate. Absolutely. But. Yeah, He died in 2016, two years earlier. He never ever approved his songs for such uses and and many of his fans were horrified when, when they saw it the publishing rights were probably sold as my guy uh, they had to have been yeah um yeah prince was always very protective of his music i mean mm -hmm. it's it's still very hard to find live performances uh, i know even even the very famous uh rock on induction where he he just kills it on that that solo with while my guitar gently weeps well, oh my yeah. gosh i and just actually it, i just watched that last night yeah. it came up on tiktok incredible I, it is it is I would argue one of the most incredible solos ever performed. And then he throws the guitar and still to this day, no one knows where the hell it I, I was wondering. I'm like, yeah, did that nobody, go in the audience? <laughs> yeah, nobody has any idea what happened to the guitar. It's, it's Hopefully a tech caught it. Yeah, I, I'm hoping. I, otherwise, Springsteen does that, but the tech always catches it. I'm right. always afraid one of these days is going to yeah. miss. Well, Prince's guitar seems to have dissipated, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, Let's Go Crazy it was just the, the very obvious pick to start off. And uh, you can never have too much Prince. So Yeah, no, Prince, uh, yeah. He, he's talked about by people in the know and by musicians as being this incredible guitarist. Unfortunately, you know, when, when maybe music novices talk about great guitar players, of course they talk about Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton and C. Right. Vaughan. I just don't hear Prince being brought up by, you know, the average fan as much as he should be. But really, he just was incredible. I know he came from kind of a funk background and he did a lot of pop music as well. But, uh, you know, the, the man can play guitar. Oh, no and, doubt. and the amount of material that's supposedly he is his estate is sitting on i guess it's just a mountain of unreleased stuff and so hopefully someday well, whatever legal uh, battles are being waged or what but someday hopefully they'll release that music and we'll be able to hear it i'm hoping you know it's not just guitar too prince actually could play yeah mm -hmm. pro proficiently yes. on 27 different instruments yeah. yeah um and then there were some of his tracks where he played every instrument and just layered you know the audio um yeah he's he was an incredible musician, and you're right. You don't hear enough 
enough about that. And, so. I, and, and a lot of listeners may relate if you were like me at that time. Well, maybe a little bit later um, after Purple Rain, probably in the late 80s, being an alternative music fan, you know, it was it was in fashion for us alternative music fans to kind of, you know, snub our nose at pop music and, and some of the more popular bands at the time. And so Prince was always kind of like, uh, you know, Prince. Um, but man, you know, <laughs> I, w- I was wrong, you know, mm-hmm. uh, looking back, I think it was just because that's the way he was marketed. You know, Purple Rain was such a big hit. And, right. And then he did some other stuff with Revolution. Of course, then he had the whole issue with, um, you know, the being a slave to the record company and, and right. changing his name to a symbol. So I always kind of saw him as just kind of kind of out there. But uh, man, he's just, yeah, he's talented. He's a yeah. real deal. No, he's incredible. And, you know, really, he's, he's, he was the next step uh, in the evolution of funk. I mean, a lot of people, I, I also don't hear a lot of credit given to him for just being a, a funk artist, right. but but that really, that was his groove, yep. you know? Yep. Um, and he launched the career of so many other oh. bands, and he wrote music for other bands. and So many. Just very, he, he was an odd individual, but as we've talked about, geniuses are odd individuals. Brian Wilson <laughs> was an odd individual. I mean, that's, uh, I think, just genius and... and uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, crazy. Cl- yeah, well, crazy. There we go. Right there. I was going to say the ex- uh, eccentricities, but yes, craziness, right? Right. No, right. Eccentric uh, is what it, I was looking for. Might as well go with the theme of our, our episodes. So. Yes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Your good, turn. Good, uh, good segue. All right. So I'm going to go with um, actually a member of Fleetwood Mac who went solo. I'm, I'm several members of Fleetwood Mac went solo. I'm going with Lindsey Buckingham. Uh, this was his last hit as a solo artist from 1984, Go Insane. remember this song on MTV. I don't know if you remember. I, I don't know that I remember the video as much, but I just remember that intro, that really cool groove that starts the song. I, I loved it. I have no memory of this on MTV. No? No. no none. Um, I remember Trouble, but I don't remember yeah. Go Insane. And, and in 84, I'm not sure if I knew he was part of Fleetwood Mac or not, or if I just thought he was a new artist that had come out. But I just remember that that you know, those first couple measures and that groove that leads into the song just really made an impression on me. And it's one of those that I kind of forgot about for a while. 
And then Fleetwood Mac released a live album later on called uh, The Dance, right. which was a really good live album. Oh, it's fantastic. And he performs a version of it, um, but just with uh, nylon strings on an acoustic guitar. And you want to talk about guitar playing. Obviously, Prince was, was a wizard on guitar. Lindsey Buckingham is no slouch. Oh, no. And when you hear, um, I mean, I don't know if he's classically trained or if, he, if he's self-taught, but his performance of this song on the live version is, is just really classical guitar um, just going nuts. I mean, finger picking and just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It's we'll put it on the mentioned song list. I want to go with the original here, but but listen to the live version from the dance because it's just incredible. Um, like I said, this was his last hit. It went to number twenty three on Billboard, so it wasn't huge or anything. It's probably one a lot of people have forgotten about. He said the inspiration for the song. Okay, and this kind of feeds into what we were talking about at the top of the show. He said, insanity can be said to be very relative to the context you find yourself in. So an example might be very acceptable and typical behavior for people like living a rock and roll lifestyle, but might be grounds for someone being committed if they worked at a bank. Very true. Right. So he kind of had this idea that we all tend to go insane a little bit and that's okay. It's okay to go insane. It can be quite cathartic, he says, but just have to watch yourself that you don't go to the edge too far and not be able to reel yourself back in. And that's what this song was about, was just being able to, in, in the context where you are, whatever they may be, we're teachers, so it's a little bit different than if we were, you know, movie stars. Mm-hmm. But we should all allow ourselves to just go a little bit crazy once in a while, um, just kind of buck the conventions, uh, just make sure we are able to reel it back in. Unfortunately, a lot of uh, stars uh, have not been able to um, kind of get back from the abyss. But um, right. Um, yeah, so that's 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 my first one. I, I still love it. Like I said, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's the same melody, obviously, and same lyrics, but the two songs, the live version and the studio version, are just very, very different. And if you want to hear a really, really good acoustic guitar performance, check out the live version as well. Yeah, no, it's a great pick. I, you know, I had not even, I, I can't remember the last time I heard this song prior to you giving me your Yeah, it's not list. one that's played off. No, and I, I recognized it immediately. I know the song. I just, I had forgotten all about it. And, um, you know, when when I think about the solo uh, careers of, of, you know, the, the members of, of Fleetwood, Stevie gets all the attention. Sure. You know, um, and for good reason. Uh, she She's such a dominant personality. Her voice is, you know, immediately recognizable. But Lindsey Buckingham, I mean, he had some some big hits you know and and yeah i i don't i don't hear people talking about him as a solo artist it, no. it just it's like I mean, he's uh, lampooned by bill Hader on snl well which yes. Is great. <laughs> yes and i'm sorry um vacation uh, holiday road is oh, holiday one of the road. greatest that, that's that's his greatest oh, pop yeah. song of course oh that was first episode we ever did right the road trip you can't yep. you can't do a road trip without holiday road exactly so. um okay uh well my number two yep I went with Green Day and Basket Case. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm cracking up And I just never know 
song is about anxiety attacks and a feeling that you are going crazy. Uh, lead singer Billy Joel Armstrong suffered, actually, from various panic disorders while he was growing up. Uh, he would sometimes wake up in the middle of the night with a panic attack and walk around his neighborhood to settle down. Basket Case was a cathartic and personal song for him, actually. Um, he explained that the only way he knew how to deal with it was to write a song about it. And this song stereotypes the whole condition of paranoia and compares it to being stoned, which is pretty typical if you're a Green Day fan. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's their name, Green Day. That's, exactly, that's yeah. It's all about. Um, by the time this came out on Dookie, um, Green Day had already released two albums on an independent label. Uh, they had a small but ardent following uh, that, that led to a bidding war for the band, actually, which was won by Reprez Records. Basket Case was the third single from the album following Longview and, and Welcome to Paradise, and it was their breakout hit. I mean, it got airplay on rock, top 40, alternative radio stations. They were everywhere. And you remember the video, oh, which is a classic. Yeah, where they're in, a, in an institution, and um, Trey Cool is wheeled in on a wheelchair yep. and behind the drum kit. Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, the singles from Dookie, they weren't available for sale. It was an effort to spur sales of the album. Um, but they were released to radio, making them ineligible for the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Basket Case did peak at number 26 on the airplay chart, um, which was around the time of, of peak frenzy during Green Day concerts. Um, the song also got a nice push from MTV, which put the Mark Core directed video in, in hot rotation that you were just discussing. Um, in the early years, the band was constantly on tour and eating some really bad food, and the food did not always digest well. The album titled Dookie Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got a chuckle out of this. The album title, Dookie, is what they called the result when that food did not digest. Um, so that was kind of the, the band's little in-joke in naming the album. Um, I also found out, I looked this up, I never knew. A basket case, of course, is slang for an emotionally unstable, dysfunctional, or completely... And a B-horror movie from the 80s. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that too. But originally, I didn't know this, the word referred to an amputee especially a soldier who had lost all four limbs. Hmm. That was a basket case. It was coined during World War I. It, it's amazing to me that the, the, you know, how we use that term It's changed, because even in The changed. Breakfast Club, right? I mean, right. they refer to Ali Sheedy's character as uh, her stereotypical role as the right. basket case. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, but yeah, I, I, learning what, what the term was actually, you know, used for, how it was coined, what it was meant, what it meant, I, I just, I was kind of blown away that, it, you know, the, the meaning of, of the term had, had has changed so yeah, dramatically. Yeah. Um, one, one last note. Um, when Billy Joe Armstrong spoke with Rolling Stone in 2014, he explained that this song will always be a part of the band's set list, but that its meaning has changed for him. He said, it's about other people now. When I look at people as we play the song, they're having their own moment. At that point, 
I'm the audience. And yeah, that video. I mean, it, you know, it takes place in the same mental institution where the um, where One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, okay, interesting. Was filmed. So, but um, they filmed a lot of stuff there. Oh, I bet they. Have did. you seen them live? No, I've never seen Green Day live. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to, but my son was a big fan in high school, and um, actually, because of The Office, I think. Um, what, I forget what song uh, was featured on The Office, and my son was a big Office fan. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been Wake, Wake Me Up When September Ends, or I don't know, whatever. He um, loved that song, and that's kind of really the band that got him into music, which got him into playing guitar, and so I took him to see him live uh, in Pittsburgh. I bet they went on a hell of a well, show. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I don't expect a lot from from older bands, and at this time, of course, they've been together for several decades, and so I expected the obligatory hour and a half, you know, give us a good show, get our money's worth. No, they they played their hearts out. They played for over two hours. It might have been two and a half hours. Wow. They were incredible. You, you can tell they gave every ounce of energy. It was almost Springsteen-like in the amount of energy they gave back to the audience. They did not phone it in. So either I was there on a very, very good night, or I'm just very impressed that this band continues to put on a show like this. Springsteen, I mean, that, that is high yeah, praise. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that, that's just... Because you know it's different when you see Springsteen. You oh, know yeah. that he's, you know, giving everything he has, and that's how I felt in this concert. Yeah, no, um, um, we talked about in the show how, how Nirvana changed everything, and how it was, you know, hair band, metal, and pop music, and, and so forth before Nirvana. And even though Nirvana was considered grunge, right, whatever that term means, and a lot of bands, they kind of plugged into that category. But I think it also opened the door to other alternative music becoming popular. At the oh, time. absolutely. And so you started to see R.E.M. and The Cure and, and, and a lot of these bands that were, you know, that I enjoyed in, in the 80s, but weren't necessarily getting a lot of airplay all of a sudden, you know, charting. And I just remember hearing this and growing up loving the Ramones saying, oh my gosh, three chord punk is back. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the, that's when the Ramones quit. You know, the Ramones had been together at this point for 25, 30 years or whatever. Or, well, it's late 70s to, you know, early now. So I guess not that, not as long. About 25. It, yeah, yeah. 25 years. And yeah. and they, um, you know, they never really made a lot of money. I mean, they, they influenced millions and millions, uh, hundreds or thousands of bands, but they never really got kind of the commercial credit that they felt they deserved. And so when Green Day all of a sudden just exploded, they quit. They're like, we're done. <laughs> Basically, we did all this work and nobody cares. And here comes Green Day basically standing on our shoulders and doing what we did. And of course, they're a smash success. And, and it happens a lot. But I will say, as much as I love the Ramones, Green Day has that uncanny ability to just, they take the three chord punk thing, but they can write a melody. Mm-hmm. Their melodies are just so good. And Basket Case is a perfect example. It's one of my favorite punk songs because it's just so melodic and it has so much raw energy and even American Idiot which a lot of people you know anytime any record is huge right music snobs are like well it can't be that great but if you listen to those songs the melodies on those and the hooks on, on that album are just incredible so a lot of punk music is just raw emotion. They can't play their instruments. This is a band who tapped into that sound, who's proficient at their instruments, who knows how to write a good song. And that's why I love Green Day. Yep. No, I love American Idiot. It's one of one of the greatest albums, uh, really, I think, in their in their discography. Yeah. It just... Did you ever hear the story that they, they recorded an album prior to that hmm. and it leaked online? This was early on the online when the internet was was, was pretty new. No, I didn't. And, and it leaked, and they were kind of obviously angry about that. But when they they had a little band meeting, I guess, and they said, you know what, 
was this really our best work? And they all agreed that they kind of phoned that album in. So they said, you know what, we're gonna sit down and we're gonna write the greatest record of our career, and that was American Idiot. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no memory of anything leaking by Green Day. Yeah. I, um, hmm. I, I imagine the music's still out there. I have to yeah, I'm not sure what, look what, it up. Yeah, right. So, all right, your turn. All right, well, coming back to my favorites. Uh, this is one of my favorites of all time. We've talked about it quite extensively. Steely Dan from 1975 from my favorite Steely Dan album, Katie Lied. And I'm talking about bad sneakers. Five names that I can hardly stand to hear, including yours and mine, and one more chip who isn't here. I can see the ladies talking how the times are getting hard. That fearsome excavation on Magnolia Boulevard Yes, I'm going insane And I'm laughing at the frozen rain Well, I'm so alone Honey, when they gonna send me So it's my favorite Celia Dan song on my favorite Celia Dan album. Is it your favorite song? It is my favorite Celia Dan song. I did not know that. Yes. Okay. I knew the album. I didn't know the song. Yes. And I know there's all sorts of other songs that are, you know, greater in composition and so forth. But this one just hits the sweet spot for me. Um, I, I don't think that I've met anyone, and I'm sure there's someone, but I don't think that I've met anyone in conversation that did not like Steely Dan. Well, you know, I've met a few, but I also find that they don't know Steely Dan. Okay, well, that, you know, well that's different. Yeah, I mean, they... But if you've heard Steely Dan, you like Steely Dan. To me, they're like the Venn diagram right. of, of all my friends. In fact, it made me laugh because there's a post on our Facebook page oh. um, <laughs> with... Um, I, I just, just put it on. It, it shows a dog in a car, and uh, the owner leaves a note... Uh, Tape to the to the window saying the AC is on. He has water and he's listening to Steely Dan. <laughs> and, and, and somebody uh, commented and they said, "Someone saved that poor dog and instead yeah. let him listen to Pink Floyd." <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. And I, you know, I, somebody else then replied, "I'll take Steely Dan over Pink Floyd any day." And I kind of chimed in and said, "Me too." Yeah. You know, but well, I mean, I like both. So well, I do too. To think, but, but yeah, it's um, but, I don't know. It's it's it always cracks. I guess um, a lot of people just kind of dismiss them for the jazz fusion. But, well, uh, uh, to me, rock fans like them, jazz fans like them, um, alternative music fans like them, yacht rock fans, easy listening fans oh, like them. Absolutely. And I, I have a lot of friends that like music, and I and, and so I'm thinking about one particular friend, uh, Jim, who's you know a composer musician. Actually, he's a, he's a band um, band leader um, at a school here nearby, and he just knows his jazz better than than anybody. And I remember in college playing. Um, I think I played Babylon Sisters for him, and he was just blown away. And then when he saw all of the different jazz musicians of the time that played on their records, he was he was you know a fan. And then I have other you know classic rock friends that love classic rock and they love Steely Dan. So it's just one of those. It doesn't matter who I'm with. That's something that I can put on. And, and even my wife, you know, she she's a yacht rock fan and she loves him for that. So yep. yeah, 
So that that's my little take on Steely Dan. Um, Michael McDonald. This is, I think, his first appearance with the band on backing vocals. Oh, and you hear him right away. You hear him right He's, away. You can't mistake Michael McDonald's vocals. <laughs> so speaking vocals. of Yacht Rock. Uh, he continued to contribute to their recordings up until 1980. Uh, I believe he's might have been Hey 19 might have been the last one that he uh, recorded with them. The, the lyrics, like a lot of the band's lyrics, are very very cryptic. And um, you know, I'm not a lyrics guy, but Steely Dan was one of those bands where I kind of always did listen to the lyrics, especially as a kid, and never quite got the metaphor, you know, because yeah. there were always really really strange images. And this was one that I never quite got. And I thought about it, but I did a little research this week, and apparently the consensus is Donald Fagan was out living in L.A. Of course, he grew, he's a New Yorker, so was Walter Becker. They grew up in New York, and they, I guess, had some tension, some of the earlier records with the band. And so they move out to L.A., and, you know, Celia Dance basically just Donald Fagan and Walter Becker at this time, and then, you know, session musicians that filled in. And Donald Fagan was just really homesick for New York. And it just wasn't his scene. And so the whole idea of, you know, wanting to just wear bad sneakers and walk up and down by Radio City, the large sum of money probably deals with buying easy access to drugs. I don't know. But he was just not feeling the L.A. vibe and just going insane. And that's where this fits into our theme, because one of the refrains from Bad Sneakers is going insane, laughing in the frozen rain. Right. So it's this idea of this almost like temporary insanity when you are just in a place where you don't belong. And you want to be somewhere else where you feel at home, where your people are. And that can be a very, very frustrating, depressing place to be. Hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. It, uh, and, and, you know, it goes both ways. Cabin fever, you know, when you need to get away from. And I have one for that I, coming I, up, too. I know you so. do. I know. <laughs> well aware. <laughs> but, yeah, this is just a great, I just, all around, this to me is one of those perfect pop songs. Um, if I had to make my top ten list or what they call it now, the, the Mount Rushmore of, of pop songs, this one would probably be on there. Hmm. No, it's great too. I I love Steely Dan, so no argument from me. I just wasn't aware this was your favorite favorite track by them. Yep, yep, pretty cool. All right, well, my third selection is a song by Don McLean, and it's a uh, McLean or McLean because I heard someone pronounce it McLean, and then I actually looked at the spelling, and it is spelled McLean. Have we been pronouncing it wrong all this time? I do not know. I, I've always called him Don McLean, as have I. But then I started to question myself hmm. when I heard somebody. You know, I don't know. I, I've heard other. I've heard radio disc jockeys refer to him as McLean. Yeah, so I, yeah. they, oh, well. they may be wrong as well. Let I, us I know, know, audience. Write in. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah, please do. Um, now this one is by Don. I'm going to just go with it, McLean. Yeah. And um, it was written as a tribute to Vincent Van Gogh. I'm going to call. Going to call him Vincent Van Gogh from this point forward as I uh, discuss. Even though our humanities teacher yeah, said he, it's Van Gogh. Yeah. Our yeah, he would not be happy. Um, <laughs> but the song, of course, is Vincent. Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and gray Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills In colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me How you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen 
did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now It is often erroneously titled after its opening refrain, Starry, Starry Night. Um, it, it, of course, is a reference to Van Gogh's 1889 painting, The Starry Night. McLean wrote the lyrics in 1971 after he read a book about the life of Van Gogh. And it was released on McLean's 1971 American Pie album uh, the following year. And it peaked at number 12 uh, on Billboard, went to number two on Easy Listening. Billboard ranked it as the number 94 song uh, for 1972. In July 2020, the original handwritten lyrics for this actually went up for sale for $1.5 million, which is, you know, yeah. that's a lot of money. Uh, according to McLean, he, you know, reading that you biography- You said that like Trump. That's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> that's how Trump would say. Oh. That's a lot of money. Sorry. Ouch. <laughs> I didn't say you acted like Trump. I just said it sounded like him there for a second. Oh, boy. I've never been called Trump before. That's, that was the first. Um, uh, but according to McLean, um, when he was reading the biography on Van Gogh, he suddenly just knew he had to write a song arguing that the artist was not crazy. Okay, um, because Van Gogh, of course, he had a good, he had an ear for music, though. Uh, see what you did there. Um, that was so bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> so bad. Um, but actually, no, he did not have an ear for music. <laughs> yes, uh, if you want to really, we had one. At least. Yeah, yeah, uh, his good ear. Um, but yeah, he he wanted to argue that Van Gogh was not crazy because reading the the, um, the biography, he just felt that you know so much of what we think we know about Van Gogh is just false, that that the man was actually uh, quite sane, but just underappreciated, undervalued, un, you know, misunderstood, if, if you will. So McLean sat down with a print of Starry Night and he wrote the lyrics out on a paper bag. I mean, it was just spur of the moment, spontaneously done. Really, the song, it's a soothing melody. In some ways, it's almost a lullaby, I think. And, you know, it's also a bittersweet palette of major and minor chords. But more than anything, the song argues that Van Gogh's suicide was a sane comment on an insane world, hmm. which I, I really, I kind of dig that, you know? I, not that, you know, suicide is, you know, a very sensitive topic. I'm not making light of that. But um, yeah, Van Gogh, uh, McLean's take on it was that Van Gogh just, you know, he, he looked around and, and just realized that this world was not for him. I was going to say, too, too beautiful for you. This yeah. world was too, yeah. Yeah, the world was... Uh, too yeah. beautiful for the likes of you, something like that. The yeah, lyrics at the end, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. something. Um, the, the song was a particular favorite, actually, of the rapper and actor Tupac Shakur, which mm. I did not know. Um, this was actually the song that was played to him in the University Medical Center of Southern Nevada, um, the hospital where Tupac was admitted just before he died of gunshot wounds from that drive-by shooting. Allegedly, allegedly, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, we all know the stories, um, but nonetheless, yeah, Tupac, he actually you know, on his deathbed asked to hear the song mm, Vincent by Don McLean. I mean, it, it's it's a beautiful number. And I just, it, it's another one that you just don't hear about much anymore. And I thought this is the opportune time to, to include it. It so. gets a lot of, well, I shouldn't say, I hear it from time to time on, on satellite radio. Um, there's a station called The Bridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. kind of the Venn diagram for my wife and I. It's mostly easy listening, 70s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, and that, it pops up on there from time to time. Yeah, a lot of soft 70s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Billy Joel, have you watched the series The Boys yet? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, I, oh, yeah, my, my yeah. son finally nailed me down to to watch it this week, and so we're we're binging it together. Oh, Dave, had I known you had not watched oh, it, I would have talked up this show incredible. two, two, three years just ago. Just the Billy Joel references. Oh yeah, alone. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, the writers from Ohio, so the Ohio references as well. Yeah. Anyway, way off topic. Sorry about that. All right, my next pick um, had to include this one. We just talked about Green Day um, a few songs ago. Now we're going to talk about uh, one of their biggest inspirations, Net to the Ramones from 1977 from Leave Home, which I believe was their second album, Gimme, 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 Shock Treatment. Like most of the band's early songs, this track um, is a really short, fast, one minute and 38 seconds. Yeah. I, I mean, their live performance was like 20 minutes long. I know. <laughs> I know. And then they didn't, they didn't stop between songs. They just, it was just one like Blitzkrieg tight, you know, set. Um, and like I said, a lot of the, in, in the intro, a lot of these songs are meant to be light and broad. So this song is a perfect example of that what the Ramones are singing about. They're just kind of having fun with this idea. Of course, uh, electroshock therapy, um, which I just read is still being used in, in, in parts of the world, especially in Europe. It's a lot more common in Europe. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just outright banned. No, no, it's it's still being used um, to treat uh, depression and bipolar disorder. Uh, not as much in the United States, like I said, but it's, 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 an, it's an effective short-term treatment. Hmm. Um, it doesn't doesn't last very long, but I believe in the you know in sixties and seventies it was kind of an experimental oh, yeah. procedure that they were trying with it people. Was, it was the the last before last step medic- before lobotomizing right. a patient, really before a lot of the meds that we have that are that are helping a lot of people, and so it really is a tongue in cheek kind of look at that. Which the Ramones you can't take anything seriously no, that the Ramones no. do. So like the like the end of the song where it says peace and love is here to stay, and now I can wake up and face the day. Give me, give me shock treatment. Yep. So, you know, they have so many songs in their catalog that would have worked for this. Episode. Oh yeah, teenage yeah. lobotomy. Oh yeah, another one. I that, absolutely. Even I want to be sedated. You know, and and there's so many. I want a happy just, family. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah there's a ton, a ton uh, of them out there. But uh, yeah, you know, I talked earlier about how the Ramones finally called it quits, and, and really they wouldn't have lasted long after that because it's really strange, right? You know, Joey and Johnny and uh, and Dee Dee ended up dying within a few years of each other. Oh yeah, um, two of them from from cancer. So um, yeah, it's just a, a strange. If you ever look in, get a chance to read a biography on the Ramones or, or watch. There's a really good documentary out there you can watch. Um, just a really really interesting story. I'm looking for the biopic sometime soon. That would be good. Yeah. I'd love to see a biopic. Because, you know, I mean, you probably know, uh, I think it was Joey's girlfriend ends up leaving him for Johnny. Right. And Johnny's a big Republican, and, and Joey's, you know, liberal, and they just had all of these it, strange dynamics. It, well, it was a band of, yeah, it's a band of personalities that really should not have worked well together. Um, like like the song, The KKK Took My Baby Away. Right. That's what that's about. He's referring to Johnny as the KKK, yeah. stealing his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Brotherly love. Uh, what can we say? <laughs> um, 
Okay, my number four. Um, this one, I, I almost, I'll, I'll be honest, I kind of chose this uh, episode's theme just so I had, could finally use this song in one of our episodes. Okay. Napoleon 14. Oh, my goodness. 1966. <laughs> they're coming to take me away. Ha ha. Hee hee ho ho. To the funny farm. <laughs> Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow and then the days got worse and worse and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And... They're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, haha. You thought it was a joke, and so you laughed. You laughed when I had said that losing you would make me flip my lid. Right? You know you laughed. I heard you laugh. You laughed, you laughed, and laughed, and then you left. But now you know I'm utterly mad. And they're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha. To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes, and they're coming to take me away, this is one of my. It may it may be my favorite novelty tune. Um, it, it was written and performed by Jerry Samuels, uh, who billed himself as Napoleon Fourteen. Uh, released on Warner Brothers Records, the song became an instant success here in the U.S. It did peak at number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, it, it was number one on the Cashbox Top 100. Hit number two in Canada and number four on the U.K. Singles Chart. And this song was huge. It, it was a worldwide phenomenon. The lyrics, though. Th- they have some fun with this, and I'm not sure that everybody catches it. The lyrics appear to describe a man's mental anguish after a breakup with a woman, right? And his descent into madness leading to his committal to the quote-unquote funny farm. It's finally revealed, though, and I, I find when I do talk to people, not many people even know this song, which, which breaks it my It was heart. big on Dr. Demento. Yeah, it was. Um, but, but, you know, introducing this song from to, to, to new people from time to time through the years, it... it they always kind of mishear or, or misunderstand. Um, you know, it's finally revealed in that last line of the third verse that he's not being driven insane by the loss of a woman at all, but by a runaway dog. Oh, I never caught that. Yeah. Uh, they'll find you yet, and when they do, they'll put you in the ASPCA, you mangy mutt. A lot of people think that he's calling the woman That's what I always a dog. Assume. But no, they, they, it was very deliberately on the part of Samuel's um, you know, a, a twist to the story to show that it was actually a, a dog that had run away that was driving him insane. According to Samuels, he was concerned that the record could be seen as making fun of the mentally ill. And he intentionally added that line so that you realize the person is talking about a dog having left him, not a human. Hmm. Um, Samuels also said he, he felt it would cause some people to say, well, it's all right. And, and it did, and it worked, and the song became an instant smash. Uh, the song is driven by a snare drum, a tambourine, and a hand clap rhythm. Uh, the vocal is spoken rhythmically, and there's no melody. The, it, there's no singing in the song. And the vocal pitch rises and falls at key points to create an unusual glissando effect, uh, augmented by the, the sound of wailing sirens. Glissando, if you don't know what that term refers to, that, that, that would be the same um, 
it's the same technique used by David Seville for the Chipmunks. Mm-hmm. It's it's just speeding up the you know the the revolutions of of the recording. Um, continuing uh, the theme of insanity, the flip side, the B side of this single was simply the A side played in reverse. Really? Do you know that? That's great. And it was given the title. I'm going to butcher this. It's the title backwards. Ah ah ya ah m ikat at gnamak er yet or Haha, away, me take two coming there is, is the name of the flip side. Um, most of the label uh, affixed to the, the B side um, was actually a mirror image of the front. And he, the, he built himself on, the, on that B side as 14 Napoleon. Who is, who Napoleon is Napoleon 14? 14? Do we know? Yeah, it's Jerry Samuels. I know, but it's like, is he oh, um, from another band? He used an assumed name or he's just, it was just like a one hit wonder kind this of This was just a one hit wonder, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not aware of it. I didn't know if it was else. a famous producer who just, you know, used no. a pseudonym or something. No, not that I'm aware of. In okay. fact, you know, it even begs the question, how did he even get a, a publishing deal to, to, you know, to record this right, song? Right, right. I, I yeah, he no knew somebody idea. in the business. He had to have. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the label name, the disclaimer, and record and recording num- master numbers were all kept front frontward, but everything else on the label was in reverse. Um Within weeks of its release, of course, WABC, WMCA, uh, many of the, the major radio stations, they stopped playing the song in response to complaints about its content from mental health professionals and organizations. BBC also refused to play the song. But there were, of course, then answer songs that soon followed. And I've never heard any of these. I, I need to look them up. If they're on Spotify, we'll throw on the on the mentioned songs list. But apparently there was I'm Happy They Took You Away, haha, by Josephine the 15th. <laughs> whoever that is. Teddy and Daniels had a song called They Took You Away, I'm Glad, I'm Glad. And that there are just a number of response songs that I'm, I'm going to have to look up because it, it sounds, I, to me it sounds hilarious, but I just, I wanted to include this song and, you know, what better way to do it than a crazy mixtape. So, exactly. Nice there one. There you go. Nice one. All right, I'm going to stick with 1977. That was the Ramon song that I talked about. And now I'm going to talk about Talking Heads. Of course, Talking Heads and Ramones and, and Blondie, all those kind of uh, new wave, punk slash new wave bands came out of that CBGB scene in oh, New yeah. York. Yep. And they all kind of emerged into the commercial scene of, about this time. And this was the band's first hit, and I say hit kind of in quotes, because it, it got airplay on AOR stations and, you know, it was one of those probably tape trading type, type deals. Um, it, it did not... I don't think it even cracked. It barely cracked the Hot 100. Oh, did it chart? It barely cracked the Hot okay. 100. Um, it's now included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shape rock and roll. So it's a very, very important song. The song actually had been around in some form since 1974. And they kind of played it live and they tweaked it. And then they finally recorded it for their first album. Um, at the same time they released um, the track uh, as a single, it was kind of eer- eerily timely because at the same time the Son of Sam killings were happening in New York, the whole mm. serial killer. So a lot of people thought it was in response to those murders that were taking place in New York, but it was just kind of a weird coincidence. Byrne said about the song, he said, quote, when I started writing this, and he got some help later, he imagined Alice Cooper doing a Randy Newman-type ballad. <laughs> okay, I can see that. He yeah. said both the Joker and Hannibal Lecter were much more fascinating than the good guys in those stories. He said everybody sort of roots for the bad guys in movies. So it's kind of an anti-hero, 
I guess not even anti-hero because anti-heroes are still kind of the good guys. Right. But just the idea of like, you know, Darth Vader and, uh, you know, kids dress up as, as the villains sometimes because they're oh. more interesting. Obviously, Joker. I mean, uh, David Byrne said this several decades ago and we're still, you know, oh, we're putting, the, putting the Joker yeah. back on screen in, in different ways, with different actors. Right. And so that's kind of why he wanted to write this. Uh, he was just kind of fascinated with that, that other other side of things. Um, musically, the song is a perfect example of how that that new wave sound began to branch off from the punk movement. Can I can in I the just 70s. I'm going to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Um, you haven't given them the name of the song yet. Oh, I didn't. No, you didn't. Well, not. then you said that earlier. What's that? Say that earlier before I keep going. Well, on. I, I just I was I was enjoying your notes. I, I did not know a lot of this. <laughs> I'm talking about Psycho Killer. There you go. Okay, <laughs> Psycho Killer by Talking Heads. Thank you. remember speaking of novelty songs i think we were in college and we came across in the record library i saw an album of novelty tunes uh might have been on rhino records and there was psycho chicken oh yeah and it was yeah. a parody of this oh my god i have not thought about that he was like a psycho chicken was loose in ohio or something right it was i have oh, no it idea was, it was hilarious yeah if, if it is on spotify we'll put it on the mentioned song i'd be surprised if we can find it but. Uh, yeah I, my guess is that would be a, a definite youtube uh required yeah. uh find but, but um but talking heads and of course they went on to have a have a very commercial especially with burning down the house and um uh some of the other uh what i'm trying to think um wild wild life of course was a hit um and even before that stay up late and, and songs like that were very very popular but we know we listen to a song like psycho killer and even though it still is is somewhat unusual for a pop song i don't think we can fully appreciate the impact it would have had back in 1977 right, right? course everything at this time uh, was either you know what we consider now classic rock or disco which was starting to sweep the nation and the world and so really these these bands like the ramones and talking heads were pushing back now now deborah harry and and blondie they kind of incorporated the disco into their music that and and 60s surf rock they they really brought in that 60s guitar so they actually instead of kind of fighting against it they used it to their advantage but I just love looking back in music history and seeing these like kind of, kind of counter bands that are countering what's popular at the time, and um, you know, of course, new wave would explode. And I don't, I don't think some people really appreciate. They look at David Byrne as kind of being this weird artsy guy, but Talking Heads, and they were all like Juilliard trained. I mean, they were just oh, incredible musicians. Yeah. 
um, they just um, were were they were artists. Frankly, they were artists that they expressed their um, themes through music. Yep. Why well, I, I can't think I I can't really even think of David Byrne without the oversized suit for once in a lifetime. Right. You right. know, to me that is so ingrained as just a pop cultural moment from my youth. Yeah, some people um, say, "No, I'm stop making sense." Is the greatest concert film ever made? A lot is, of people feel that's the. Wouldn't say the it's the best, one. but it's definitely up there. I mean, I. I, I never get sick of watching yeah. it. Which so. the song is included on that. Yes, so. it is. All right, that's Psycho Killer. <laughs> Stop me next time before I keep going on and on and people have no idea what I'm talking well, about. Well, I kept waiting for, I thought maybe you just had know, this I, long intro that, yeah, you know, know, to set it up. I'm going to try to say it, it at the very it, beginning every what time. It wasn't now. coming, because I, I do that sometimes. I'll give a little bit of background before I name it, so I, I was just waiting. Yeah, and, no, that was my mistake. Okay. I, they'll forgive you <laughs> if they're if they're true uh, fans well, of alternative music. They knew what you were talking. about I think about most people probably knew where oh, I was yeah. going with that, considering the theme of our episode. Most likely, yeah. All right. Well, here is my fifth selection for side A. I went with Jimmy Buffett and his raucous and appropriately named fruitcakes. begins by acknowledging that human beings are flawed individuals and that the cosmic baker took us out of the oven a little too early and that's the reason we're as crazy as we are. And, you know, to prove his point, Buffett then explores themes of varied insanity from government spending to religious hypocrisy. There's a thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning, Dave. I, I have truer words ever been spoken with such Caribbean flair. Really, <laughs> really you know. Um, on the strength of this title track, um, his 18th, 18th studio album, you know, for for almost two decades, he put out an album a year. Yeah. He has one of the one of the largest uh, catalogs of music of, of any uh, songwriter in, in pop music. Um, but this was his 18th album, um, and it actually reached number five on the strength of, the, of its title track on the Billboard 200, making it Buffett's very first top 10 album. Um, the album also was certified platinum by the RIAA. Uh, initially, the album was going to be called Quietly Making Noise. And I remember 
I saw him at Buckeye Lake. That was with you. He played, he previewed that. Yeah, song. he previewed quietly making noise and said, "This is the title track of the album that's coming out next year." And then the album came out and it was called Fruitcakes, which um, you know that switch. Uh, I always was, thought a better title would have been Silently Making Noise because that would have been a really noise. nice oxymoron. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Simon and Garfunkel beat him to it. Though. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, um, but yeah, it was going to be called Quietly Making Noise. Uh, the album was released in '94 and it was Buffett's first studio recording since Off to See the Lizard in '89. Um, Buffett used that five-year hiatus in between to focus on writing. Uh, he, you know, books uh, such as Tales from Margaritaville and Where's Joe Merchant. Um, but as the first single from the album, Fruitcakes, it, it failed to chart on the Hot 100, though it did reach number 29 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart. He, he's made um, the top 40 a few times. He's actually made the top 10 uh, a couple of times. Um, First in, come, come Monday, probably Margaritaville. Well, Come Monday was number 29, because I looked these up. Right. He's actually had eight top 40 hits. Okay. Um, Margaritaville was, was the highest charting until um, it's five o'clock somewhere in Knee Deep. Oh, well, and, yeah, and, knee, and knee Deep. Knee Deep, right. Uh, the two of them were both uh, top 10. Um, actually, one of them, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, hit number one. On, on the country charts or on the pop charts? Um, definitely on country, okay. but... Um, I don't know. I'd have to go back. I mean, it might have been. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I could Doesn't be wrong about that. I don't. I don't want him to say something that may not be true. But from memory, I, I vaguely recall um, that it was it was a high high charting hit. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, he's had eight top forty hits. Um, it's been all over the country in the adult contemporary charts. But fruitcakes, I actually thought it hit the top forty. It didn't. Just number twenty nine on the AC chart. That's yeah, too long for airplay. Well, yeah, that's that's very true. There is a video though, and they play it at Margaritaville. There is, and it's it's, it's kind of painful to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, and I think the reason why Fruitcakes the album uh, did so well was because prior to that, the box that had been released, right? Oh, yeah, and I yeah. think that's when I mean there were Jimmy Buffett fans from, from from early on that were more of the country fans, and then those in the know, especially in areas like Cincinnati and down in Atlanta, um, kind of started to you know get what he was all about. Oh, of course, yeah. Margaritaville and the few that you mentioned were hits. But I think, and I know it's the case for us, at least, when the box set came out, yep. there was an opportunity to catch up on his catalog pretty easily without going back. And we didn't have Spotify, of course, back then. So right. without having to buy all, whatever, 14 albums at the time. And in the box set, if you remember, was divided into four sections, boats, boats beaches, beaches, bars, bars and, and ballads. ballads. Yep. And it just it just hit. And that, and in addition to the fact that so many more outdoor venues were starting to open up, and this is about the time where you started to see festivals like Lollapalooza, music festivals popping up everywhere. And so I think everything kind of came together at a perfect time for Jimmy Buffett, yep. where people came and it became an event, you know, in the parking lot. I mean, I think we went one year, we didn't even make it into the show. If I'm not mistaken, because we were having so much fun in the parking lot, uh, we made it in very late. Or we made it in the show. late. Yeah, we we were not there. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we probably went in about an hour after it had begun because we were just having too much fun, having way too much fun, <laughs> uh, fun that we're not going to discuss here on the. <laughs> and then that's the thing about Jimmy but, Buffett. I mean, no no one's ever claimed that he's this great musical virtuoso. He's got an average voice. You know, he writes above average songs, but he takes. The, he takes all of that together, and he it's it's a culture and it's a camaraderie, right? The paired head thing. Um, it's songs like his greatest hits package, you know, songs you know by heart, songs that are fun to sing, songs that remind you of, you know, being somewhere else than rather than where you are at the current time. And I think that's what the appeal is of Jimmy Buffett, and I love it. Yep. No, I, you, I can't add to it. That was the perfect perfect summary. Yeah. So, yeah. No, you 
should write a scholarly article on Jimmy Buffett. That was very well done, Dave. <laughs> and Fruitcake's, uh, you know, the song, I've always kind of liked it, sort of, but it, there's so much spoken. Like, it's not quite rap. He speaks most of the verses. You know, he ties it in with the book, which was kind of cool because he mentioned right. the characters from the book. Yeah. But uh, it's not prob- probably one of my favorite. And it, uh, that's another one on there. Uh, Everyone's Got a Cousin in Miami is another one that's kind of like that, too. Yeah. It's a very long. Very long song. Yeah. Song. But uh, there's some really, really good um, uh, Love in the Libraries on that. that Lone my, Palm. Love in the Library is one of my favorite yeah. songs by him. That and uh, Six String Music. Yeah. Apocalypso, I think, yeah. is on there. He had that, I call it the trilogy. He had Fruitcakes, he had Barometer Soup, and he had Banana Wind. Yeah. And those three are just must-listens to when we're on our way for vacation. Oh, they're fantastic. Delaney Talks to Statues is yes. another one. Yeah. yeah I, there's a lot of very beautiful music, actually, yep. Um, yep. That, that comes from Fruitcakes. But. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, your turn. All right, we're going to go up north a little bit to Canada for my next one. Ooh, from the Keys to Canada. From 1969, this is Undone, spelled uh-huh. U-N-D-U-N, by the Guess Who. Yep. From their album, Canned Wheat. is kind of an unusual composition, little Van Morrison-esque in the sense that you have the, it's a rock song, but you have these jazz chords that play throughout this this rock song. So kind of a, a little bit of a fusion here. And I think it represents the finest of the Guess Who. You know, the Guess Who wasn't, you know, hugely popular, but they had American Woman and oh, yeah. uh, No Sugar Tonight in My Coffee. These, these Eyes. These Eyes, they, right. There were a number. You know, they are one of the bands that most people... One of the first bands named when people talk about Rock Hall Snubs. Yeah, okay, I can see um, that. Yeah. Because I, I, why they're not in, I have no idea. But um, yeah, no, they they were very influential. They they, you don't hear about them anymore. But I mean, during that period of the late '60s, they were just well, if nothing else, get their greatest hits. Oh yeah, um, or either you stream it or buy it. But uh, the greatest hits is a great collection. And uh, and the song even has a you know a, a flute solo. I mm-hmm. think I keep thinking of Anchorman. Not too many songs. I mean, you have Jethro Tull and Van Morrison, and guess who? And that's about the only that's flute solos it. that I can, yeah. I can think about. Lyrically, the uh, title was inspired by a line from um, Dylan's uh, Ballad in Plain D, where she was easily undone. Songwriter Randy Bachman wrote the song after witnessing a woman slip into a coma after dropping acid at a party. 
I didn't know it was that dark. Yeah, so really, okay. it's kind of a warning against acid. So I, I felt like it, it fit the theme here. Oh yeah, because again, yeah. it's about someone that's kind of unraveling, and uh, I, I always got from I always got from the song that it was someone having you know kind of emotional issues and just kind of going to a really really dark place. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I didn't realize it was. But yeah, it's actually about somebody who. And I don't know if she survived. The story wow. ended there, as far okay, as I got I did, in my did research. did not know that it was quite that dark. Yeah, yeah. The song was originally the B-side for their single for Laughing, but like we've discussed many times on the show, it's another example when DJs had a lot of leeway as far as what they played, and the DJs flipped the single and played the B-side, and that became the hit, and it went to number 22 on Billboard. And I couldn't find any confirmation on this, but I don't know if you remember, I'm not sure if you're a Wally Lamb fan or not, um, but he wrote, uh, in 1992, he wrote his book, She's Come Undone, which is one of his finest works. Right. And I, I, maybe he just copped the, well, he spells it correctly, but I don't know if he just copped the title or what. It, you know, it's not about a woman dropping acid either. It's about a woman who's dealing with a lot of stuff in, in life. But, um, you know, I always just, I call, kind of always like the phrase from the song and from the novel, and I thought it fit perfectly for this. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's a great tune. It, it, this is another one, very much like Lindsey Buckingham. I had not heard this song probably in 20 years. Yeah. So it's it, one that I, I play a lot. I just I just really like this song. Yeah. No. I, it's, I love the groove. All right. Well, this is my last pick for side A. And, you know, when we are discussing underappreciated recording artists, Warren Zevon, with his dry wit and his acerbic lyrics, Tops that list. Definitely, for me. definitely. Is uh, he in the Rock Hall? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Had to look it up here in a moment because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Now that you ask, um, Zevon's early music industry success is profound as a session musician, jingle composer, songwriter, touring musician, uh, touring musician. Sorry, musical coordinator and band leader. Um, but despite all this, he struggled to break through in his solo career until his music was performed by Linda Ronstadt beginning with her 1976 album, Hasten Down the Wind. This launched a cult following that lasted about 25 years, with Zevon making occasional returns to album and single charts until his death in 2003. He briefly found a new audience by teaming up with members of R.E.M. in the blues rock outfit Hindu Love Gods uh, for a 1990 album release, although no tour followed. Most people know Zevon for one song, yep. and that is Werewolves of London. And people that don't know that song know it from the Kid Rock, Kid Rock sample yes. as yeah. well. Yeah, it's the most recognizable tune that the man ever recorded, uh, possibly to considerable detriment. I mean, it's pulled out every Halloween. It's ripped off by Kid Rock. It's a great group, said. though. It really is. It is. Um, Kid Rock, man. <sighs> that, that should be considered a war crime. Um, it, and it was inexplicably, uh, inexplicably, rather, inexplicably covered by, by Kids Bop, which I love, where a chorus of cheerful tots bleat about how a little lady got mutilated late last night. <laughs> but, oh, they sing the, the, the Zevon version or the Kid Rock version? No, uh, Zevon. Oh, well, yeah, okay. No, where was the London? Yeah. Interesting. Um, but it's much more clever than your average novelty song, you know, with an inescapable piano rip, that killer guitar solo by Waddy Wattrell. Um, it's one of many wonderfully weird and definitely dark tunes on the 1978 album Excitable Boy. Um, much like the man himself, Excitable Boy... The album, it treads the line between pleasurable contemporary trends, manic self-indulgence, and very macabre imagery delivered with a snide drawl. Dark humor was kind of the name of Zevon's game, and Where Was London is a pretty good index of that sound, even if he would later deride that song as a joke song written just to get a dance hit out the door. Um, Zevon, though, you know, he loved to partner jubilant instrumentation with wry, dark subject matter. And case in point, 
my next selection. See, I do the long intro sometimes. Oh, that's okay. So that was yeah. on purpose. Um, case in point, the title track, uh, Excitable Boy. lesser known to casual listeners but excitable boy the song is a bouncy backing track with lots of little leads bright piano driven melody a springsteen-esque saxophone female backup doo-wop vocals and a single line chorus which present this fun sonic backdrop to zevon's deadpan matter-of-fact delivery of a macabre sardonic tale that starts out innocent and kind of goes awry um zevon gradually amps up the tension in this song all casually brushed off by the adults in the song before the inevitable rape and murder of little Susie. Well, that turned dark. It, it does. It turns very thought, dark. guess who was dark? Jeez. Yeah. But despite the ugliness of the, of the title character's heinous acts, the music just remains gleeful. I mean, it's deliciously dissonant. And it, it just... It deliciously, di- that, that, deliciously dissonant. Dissonant. I was really happy with that. That's a good band name. That would be a good... I was just impressed with the... It's hard to say, but... I was just impressed with the uh, alliteration. alliteration but yeah. But, uh, yeah no, the song, it, it just delivers. I mean, it's 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 so much fun when it should not be. You know, it's it's just one of those where the music is in... It, it's... Like every Smith song, basically. Very much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just... You can't help but bob your head to this song, and if you're listening closely to the lyrics, you almost feel ashamed in doing it. I mean, right. that, that was the masterful craftsmanship of... Warren Zevon. Um, I, I'm always fascinated when the music, when the instrumentation does not match yeah, no, yeah, the definitely. lyrical content. Um, but this one, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Warren Zevon, you don't know Excitable Boy, I'd, I'd really be interested to, to hear what our, our listeners think after after giving it a listen. Um, I love the two. Good pick. That was kind of a dark horse. I didn't expect that one. Yeah. No, I was, yeah. Uh, I was excited to include it. So... All right. The last one, I, I kind of debated starting with this one, just because this song that I'm going to talk about really does hit the nail on the head, excuse the cliche, for kind of what we were going for when I talk about kind of a light look at insanity. And I'm talking about I'm Going Slightly Mad by Queen uh-huh. from yeah. 1991, which was from Innuendo, which was the, the last Freddie Mercury record. Outside temperature rises And the meaning is also clear 
1001 yellow daffodils Begin to dance in front of you, oh dear Are they trying to tell you something? You're missing that one final screw You're simply not in the pink, my dear To be honest, you haven't got a clue Slightly mad I'm going slightly mad It finally happened, happened. It finally happened Whoa. It finally happened I'm slightly mad Oh dear <laughs> It was the second single off off the album. Of course, they at the time were not really doing much in the United States. They had uh, what was the I think the video for "I Want to Be Free," where they're dressed up in drag. And, well, MTV banned and MTV banned, banned it. Yeah, and so I think they just stopped trying to break in the market, or I don't know if what happened, but they 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 weren't commercially successful. Uh, in the late 80s in, no. in the United States. Although, in fairness, Freddie was, you know, it wasn't known to the public, but he was, of course, you know, his health was in, right. in decline. But they were still putting out music. They, they were, good yeah. Music. And in the UK, they, they remained very popular. And that and that fits into the song here, okay? Because this is recorded like very, very much at the end of his life. And the lyrics, though, are really, really light and over the top. And the song was meant to represent Freddie's mental decline which is you know an advanced side effects uh, a side effect of, of AIDS and he was penning the lyrics with his friend Peter Straker and they thought about writing about this mental decline and they decided to go for the opposite direction instead of kind of writing a serious song about what he was going through they, they thought what if we came up with the most outrageous euphemisms for going crazy and so they started bouncing back and forth. You know, you'd start with, like I started off the show with, you know, off your rocker. Um, and they just started, you know, going back and forth to the point where they were just hysterically laughing, which this warms my heart because Freddie's not healthy at this point. I'm sure he's having good days and bad days. Uh, he knows he's at the end of his life. And here he just found this moment of joy in writing this song. And my, fav- my two favorites are I Am Knitting With Only One Needle. <laughs> Uh, and I think I'm a banana tree. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. Yeah, but as you listen to it, it is it's 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 it, it's just so nice to hear him trying to have fun with or make light with a horrible situation. And um, man, this just this this one really really fits. I think what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, I mean, he, there's a video for this song. Um, they had to. They had to put extra layers of clothes on him for the video because he was so thin. I believe he was wearing a wig. He obviously had a lot of makeup on. Uh, the last, there was another, I think, what was the other song from this album? They were a video for both of them. And he was in the video, but he didn't move around a lot. And he was clearly just, just not well yeah. at the time. But um, it's just nice to know that he had that uh, sense of humor uh, up to the end, you know. Oh, absolutely. And in the movie, and, and of course, I think most people have seen um, um, the movie Bohemian, was, was it Bohemian Rhapsody? Was that the name but of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know why they called it that, but other than I, the fact that it was a popular... Cash, cashing in on the I guess. popularity. But, you know, the, the end of that, they kind of, 
and, and the band the band endorsed it, but they played around with the time a little bit at the end of the movie. Um, for instance, you know when Live Aid happened and when he announced that he had the disease of the band doesn't necessarily line up exactly with the timeline of what happened. Um, I, it would have been nice to see a scene like this in the movie, where at the very end, you know, he's kind of having fun and, and still writing music. To answer your earlier question, I just looked it up. Zevon has not even yet appeared on a Hall of Fame ballot. Wow. Yeah. Um, and there are, I'm looking at it, there are petitions, so many petitions online demanding that he be And yet Def Leppard is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, don't go. Don't go. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be a show if I didn't I, I know, but put down a hairband. The, the, so. the, yeah, I, I kind of like Def Leppard. I, the drummer, what he does with one arm is quite incredible, actually. That's why you like Def Leppard? What? No, that's not why okay. I like Def Leppard. I'm just giving credit to the man. I've, I've, I've always, from Pyromania, I, I've always been kind of a fan of I Def mean, in, from an early 80s perspective, sure, I love the songs Photograph and Rock of Ages, but I guess it comes back to my snobby late 80s, you know, when um, I'm listening to The Cure and the Smiths, and here comes, um, it was Hysteria. And songs like Animal and Pour Some Sugar on Me. Oh, my gosh. If I have to hear that song one more time in my life, right, I'm just mm. going to maybe explode. But, yeah, that, that it, that's it for us, right? We, uh, that's it. We went through our, what are you looking up now? I was looking, uh, nothing. I just, <laughs> I'm, no, I, I was just looking up, uh, honestly, Def Leppard, uh, discography. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I'm in the mood for some uh well, you know, pour some sugar on me. I don't know if I told this story, but I had an opportunity to meet uh, um, Lowell Tolhurst from The Cure um, up at the uh, the Rock Hall. He gave a, a talk uh, a couple months ago, and he was talking about um, how Robert did not want... Did I tell this story? I don't know if I told the story. If I did, I'll edit it out. I don't know. Um, where um, they got the rock and roll nomination, and Robert Smith did, didn't want to come over for the for the ceremony. I don't think you've ever talked about this. And, and Lowell uh, said, uh, you know, you know, I don't think you understand the impact that we had in the United States, especially for those kids in the eighties that really just didn't fit in with all the other stuff, the hair bands and, and the pop music and so forth. And so he talked Robert into to coming over across the pond. And so they, um, were sitting there and, and they were listening to Trent Reznor with nine inch nails was, um, inducted the same year. And Trent Reznor told a story about how growing up in, in rural Pennsylvania, the cure changed his life because he was one of those kids that just didn't fit in. And, and, and there was nothing really for him. And when he heard the cure, he felt like, you know, he had some type of identity, something to follow, something that spoke to him. And so Lowell turned to Robert and said, see, this is why we came over here. This is this is the reason. So this was, and this, I'm getting to the point here. So they wanted to get out of there, and you made a joke. He said, we wanted to get out of there before we ran into Def Leppard, who <laughs> was, was also inducted the same year, and they didn't want to be cornered by Def Leppard. You know, there are worse, hand, <laughs> there are worse hair bands. But, and, and yes, Rick Allen on the drums, he fascinates me. But, so, but, but there's a, one more part to the story. So they're trying to okay. avoid Def Leppard, and so they're trying to get their, their car to come around and pick them up so they can get out of there after the ceremony. And there are these two big, you know, bouncers at the door and you know the the way Lowell describes them they're just kind of these you know military crew cut type you know ex-military guys and one of them looked at Robert and said oh my gosh you guys are from The Cure and they're like yeah and they're like we love you guys we love The Cure We're and again Lowell said see this is why it's not just the goth kids that made an impression on what we did and so Robert did admit he was happy that he came over for the ceremony and uh, and, and just kind of saw the appreciation that, that people had for him but yeah, they were trying to avoid Def Leppard. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, 
Def Leppard at least got a photograph. Um, <laughs> anyway, that is side A. Um, That's side A. And uh, this is a, it, it is, it's just a fun collection of music. It's, we're always eclectic, but I mean, we're all over the place on this one. So mm. it's, it's going to be fun to, to bring you side B next week. Um, just a quick shout out. Um, haven't been doing this uh, this season. I, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. Um, you can find her on Facebook. She serves the greater Cleveland area. If you need uh, your house painted, inside, outside, does not matter, uh, look up Jay Callahan Painting, good friend of mine and Dave's, and she does an amazing job. So Yes, and we don't always say this either, but uh, check out our Facebook. There's a Facebook page. Uh, and, and Alan controls uh, 99% of that. So uh, all of those great memes and funny Gen X moments uh, are, are from him curating that material. Um, and we also have a Facebook group that you can join. It's a little more intimate. Uh, we have top fives where we ask people their top five in different categories, which may kind of lead into something we're planning on doing next season. Perhaps. That's a little bit of a, a teaser. And, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a place for fans of the show to be able to discuss episodes and, and music and so forth. So check out the Facebook group as well. Uh, if you haven't already, please, if you're an Apple podcast listener, please go and uh, give us a, a rating. Five stars would be nice. If you want to write a few lines, that would be nice as well because it really helps with the algorithm to kind of grow our audience. And we've been been growing recently, which has been nice. We if you're, did, yeah, we ju- we just hit ten thousand fans. Ten thousand fans on ten thousand followers. Yep. And if you are a Spotify user, you can now rate. You can't make comments, but you can all give a five star rating to us on Spotify. And of course, that goes with any. If you're listening to, to Podbean or uh, Podchaser or whatever, uh, we would appreciate uh, that review. Not not because we need the. Uh, validation or anything, but I, I need but the validation. You need the validation, <laughs> but, but my insecurity. It, yeah, I need the validation. It helps when suggesting um, because we've, we've we've done well this season, and a lot of it um, we have to thank the other podcasts that we worked with on the on the movie um, tournament earlier um, or last spring. And because of that, um, we've been on the Apple podcast charts. In fact, I think we were as high as um, 29 on the music commentary yeah, yeah. in the United States, and so um, it, it's just nice because then. You know, we're suggested to other listeners um, who listen to music commentary podcasts, and that's how we kind of it's kind of ex- exponential, I guess. It's, yeah. it's easier to grow that it way, is. so it'd be great. And uh, not just Facebook; uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. We don't, I, I don't do as much with those two because we have not had the same level of, of following to date. Um, well, that's because Gen Xers are on Facebook. They are, yeah, which is why I, I concentrate <laughs> on Facebook most of the time. But, you know, if, if we start getting numbers on Instagram and, and Twitter, I will certainly uh, pick up the slack. But, um, yeah, we're, we're out there. So, yeah, if you enjoy what we do. Yeah, um, I think we can set it up where when you post on, on, on Facebook, it automatically also updates on Twitter and I, Instagram. I know, yeah, I know you can do it. I, I've, I haven't looked into it so much. but um, And TikTok. We launched a TikTok and we haven't done anything with it yet. So, um, I'm that's trying not, to decide. That's not true. You took video of our table. That's the one thing. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of a teaser thing. Yeah. You no, know, what I would like to do, if I'm disciplined enough, is to um, you know take some of the, the more interesting tidbits or factoids that we talk about each episode and just kind of put something together. Uh, the problem is I don't like to be on video, so <laughs> I haven't figured out exactly how I want to go about it. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. We got time. I have a face for radio. Yes, yeah, a face for radio. <laughs> don't we all? Um, my face for radio is better than my voice for radio. So you know, <laughs> no, no, that, there is that. Anyway, that is Side A, week one of Crazy, and we will be back next week. Hot, funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side.